This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Searching for power sports on podcasts. <laughs> Welcome to the Power Sports Podcast. We have a lot to cover today, and Eric Colvin is here from Colvin Motorcycles, as usual, and we also have special guest Don Muma from Motorcycle Works in with us today. Welcome, Don. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. He's going to be uh, very verbose, I can tell already. <laughs> so, so, unfortunately, we have to uh, get started with uh, something a little darker, um, the AMA Grand National Final event was in Santa Rosa, California this past weekend, and overall, it was a fantastic event. We'll talk more about that, but unfortunately, there were a couple of very serious crashes that took place at that race, and uh, two young riders lost their lives as a result of those crashes, and uh, Kyle McGrain, who was 17 years old, and Charlotte Keynes, who was 20 years old, and both up-and-coming riders, both now gone from this earth far too early. I want to take just a moment of silence here to remember Kyle and Charlotte. Well, Eric, we've talked about it before, and uh, motorsports is certainly not for the the faint of heart. And I I think, as we've mentioned, you you enter this as a rider or driver, and and it doesn't matter what discipline you're involved in. I think everybody knows what the risks are going in, but it still doesn't make it any easier, especially to see young riders uh, suffer this fate so early. It is. It's really sad to see anything like this happen, but our, our prayers and thoughts are with their families, and, and uh, I hope that, uh, that, they, uh, that they are successful in, in getting through this. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult time for, for their family, certainly, for the entire AMA um, flat track racing community. Um, a lot to, to take in, and it was really – it just – Kind of came as a, a shock, maybe, to a lot of people. I don't know if if, if people knew uh, in advance after the event. Of course, the AMA Awards Banquet was the night after the race. It was a great race, and uh, overall, and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a second. But um, you know, this news came out a day later, and uh, just really hit everybody hard. And you could tell from all of the uh, the talk on social media uh, that, you know, people were just really hit hard by this. And I had not met either one, but I had seen Charlotte Keynes in the pit area at the OKC Mile and saw her, you know, just, you know, working with the fans, talking to fans. She had a big smile. She was a pretty young girl. She was a good rider. And, you know, I think really had a lot of success ahead of her. And and Kyle, obviously 17 years old and running GNC2, you you can't look for much much more than that, uh, you know, really working his way up through the ranks there. And uh, both were really talented, very, very talented. Yeah, I think they had big futures ahead of them. I mean, the thought that comes to mind is role models. They could be ro- they were role models. They not could be, but they were role models for the younger people who are looking at getting into the sport, and that's bringing more life into the sport, which the sport needs. The sport needs more people to be aware of it, and it's really sad and tragic that it happened to two 
very young and very up-and-coming role models for the sport. Yeah, and at the same event on the same day, it makes it really tough. Yeah, that's usually odd, uh, having two at one event like that. Yeah. So this brings to mind, I mean, obviously the AMA works hard for uh, safety. Uh, You've seen the incorporation of the air fences. Um, You know, helmet manufacturers are working hard all the time to come up with the the newest, latest technology that brings the utmost in safety. We've seen the incorporation of different styles of neck collars and different forms of racing. And even in motorcycle racing, we're seeing more of a head and neck restraints used uh, and leathers. And, you know, what do you you have any thoughts on what the next step might be? I mean, you know, I think and – I'm not sure, but I believe in the accident that um, caught them up that they hit the wall in an area where there wasn't an air fence. I'm not positive on that, but I was watching the race, and one of the accidents did did take place, and they said that that they hit in an area where where the air fence wasn't in that particular section uh, for whatever reason. And I don't know what that reason would be. Obviously they don't run the air fences around the entire circumference of the track. They put it in the corners that are most likely to be areas where the riders might come off at this point. I don't think that you can predict exactly what's going to happen in every race at every event. And all the sanctioning bodies do the best they can to try and make it as safe as possible. But I don't think that you'll ever take that factor out of racing racing inherently has a lot of risk uh in it and you can reduce the risk but i don't think you can ever take the risk totally away from the sport no i don't either and and i've seen enough um crashes and and things like that involved in drag racing and and other forms of racing obviously nascar you see crashes all the time Uh, you've seen a lot of work done there for safety issues but you you think back to the loss of dale earnhardt senior and anybody watching that race at that time at daytona would have said oh yeah that's a that's not a big deal i mean he'll easily walk away from that i mean if you think back to that to that crash I mean, he just kind of nosed into the wall, and it was just a, you know, you don't want to say a fluke thing, but nobody could really comprehend at that time what happened to result in in his death because the severity of the crash just visually wasn't there. When you've seen other racers, you think back to, I think back to the Rusty Wallace crash, um, you know, uh, years before that, where he barrel rolled down the straightaway like 12 times. And you're thinking, you know, nobody's getting out of that. And, you know, he was basically unhurt in that crash. And we see those types of rolls and crashes happen in NASCAR all of the time. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and people, people who are not familiar with motorsports, this these are the times where they say oh see it's not safe uh you know you shouldn't be doing that anytime you go, you can't get out there and go that fast those types of things but you know i just i i still don't agree with that way of thinking um you know statistically you look at car crashes that happen on public streets every day your chances are much higher of uh, being in a severe accident or or death in in a regular traffic accident than they are in motorsports but these things do happen from time to time and certainly in a motorcycle issue um, you know you've got your motorcycle detractors out there but you know this is not something that that happens on any kind of regular basis i mean we don't see um, deaths in the sport 
you know, with a lot of frequency. Not at all. Uh, even at worldwide, you don't see that a lot. Yeah. And I mean, you think about MotoGP and you can see some of the crashes that those guys make and, um, you know, they look much worse than, you know, anything that you can see in, in motocross or flat track racing usually. Now, the, is the difference there that they're, you know, most of the times when they're crashing, they're not going into walls and, uh, you know, they're out on a, a road course somewhere. Uh, I don't know. There's, a, you know, we don't want to get into a lot of speculation on on that, but it's just something to to look at, and I assume AMA will be studying this and, and trying to figure out what they can do to make the the events safer for the riders. But moving on, um, the race itself they they came into the event with a battle for the points lead for GNC one. Jared Meese and Brian Smith, and we talked uh, previously about how Brian Smith had been disqualified from the Central New York event. They reinstated his position from that event just about a week and a half before the final race. He was given back his points and all of his winnings. That placed him uh, just a couple of points in front of Jared Meese going into the final race of the season. So basically all he had to do was finish ahead of Jared Meese uh, on the day, and he would win his first ever GNC championship. As the race came down, they uh, they ended up in the final, uh, both in the main event. And <laughs> side story, the Indian, ridden by Joe Kopp in its debut, had recently won the, the Dash for Cash in the event. He ran pretty well in his heat race, then comes out and wins the Dash for Cash, and then gets a whole shot and leads the first lap of the main event on the new Indian. So that is, I mean, got to be an outstanding weekend for the Indian Motorcycle Company in their debut racing event. Uh, but from there, you saw Brian Smith come around cop to get the lead, and he looked like he was going to take off. Jared Meese was back in the pack a little bit. But then, out of nowhere, virtually, Brad Baker, who had worked his way through the semifinal after his bike broke in the heat races, he went to a backup bike, goes to the semi, started on the back row of the semi, and passed everybody in the semi on the first lap before they got into the third turn. He was in the lead. And so he gets in the main event, and within I think two or three laps, Baker got into the lead in the main event, and man, he never looked back. He looked incredible, but there you have Brian Smith in second, and Jared Meese working his way up through the field trying to catch him, and it got really interesting from there. It did. That that right there was well worth the watch for that main event, and and uh, hats off to Cop. I mean, we we thought Cop would, would at least do a top 10, and, and he did do a top 10, and he led for a while with the new Indian. Now you liar! You said top five. <laughs> no, Jake said top five. All right, I said top ten. <laughs> All right, so Jared Meese. I mean, he had to work a little bit. He was back in the bit, pack. Yeah. He didn't get a very good start, and so he kind of had to work through the field. And then he managed to get Smith in his sights, and he was able to reel him in. But man, what a race that was in the main event for the championship between Brian Smith and, and Jared Meese. And it came down to the last lap, and Meese w- he tried everything to get around Brian Smith. And finally, Smith made a mistake in turn three of the last lap. He went up high, almost got into the wall, and then was able to get back on the gas. And, I mean, it, Meese was around him, but then Meese 
spun or something. I mean, you saw the bike wiggle just a little bit coming out of turn four, and here comes Brian Smith just right back around. I mean, he got on the gas hard coming out of that turn and just pulled right in front of Jared Meese. He had a drive that was unbelievable off of that turn. I don't know if if uh, if he just got up in some moisture and got some got a bite or what happened, but he come off of there like he was out of a slingshot. Yeah, it was impressive. And the way that he took the line away from Meese, and, and in a clean way, I mean, he just kind of pulled in front of him, and Meese had nowhere to go except stay right behind him. And uh, Brian Smith crossed the finish line first, took the checkered flag, and won his first ever GNC1 championship on his Kawasaki that he's worked so hard for. Jared Meese came in second on his Harley Davidson. I'm sorry, Smith was actually second because Brad Baker had crossed the finish line about an hour and a half before the other two. Yeah. He <laughs> ran off from him, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, it was it was about a ten and a half second lead that he had over he over Brian Smith. Out. And uh Brad Baker on the factory Harley Davidson, Brian Smith on the Kawasaki, Jerry Jer, Jared Mees on the Rogers Racing Kawasaki. And interesting that those three would finish one, two, three because later that night at the awards banquet, they had the executives from Indian Motorcycle come up to announce their 2017 racing team, which would include a three-man team made up of Brad Baker, Brian Smith, and Jared Meese, all on Indian FTR 750s for 2017. And uh, we had speculated a little bit on that on last week's show. And uh, wow, but what an announcement and what a huge move for Indian Motorcycle Company to take three of the hottest riders on the circuit and make a team out of them. Yeah. Sounds like they want a championship. They're going to win a championship. That's what it sounds like they want, and that's, that's the way to do it. That's the new Indian wrecking crew right there. Yeah, and I think that's what they're uh, obviously looking for. Now, the interesting thing to me, and I don't know details, but I mean, it seems like, you know, maybe Mies and Smith have had a pretty serious rivalry over the past few years. I don't know if that's just, you know, on track thing, but I, I did notice even that, that Smith said in his interview after uh, winning the championship that he was, uh, he was basically pleased that it wasn't, uh, he, how did he phrase it? Uh, he was glad it was a clean race, and he, he didn't necessarily think that it was going to be that way going in. So basically he alluded to the fact that he thought Mies might get rough with him in that race to try to take the championship from him. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, – See how they work as teammates. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, but after the race, I mean, uh, hats off to them that they both seemed very, uh, you know uh, – honorable to each other and uh, Mies you know came right over sportsmanship there yeah it was really great to see and uh, very cool and I think you know I think at that point Mies knew you know today just wasn't my day and you know it was a great race and everybody raced clean and we put on a great show and you know next next year we're going to be teammates so you know it's all good (laughs) those motorcycles were throwing dirt like fire hoses out there that was a deep cush track had to have a horsepower track for sure because of how deep it was but those things they were Blanking out everybody behind him. I mean, they were shooting dirt like fire hoses. Yeah, it looked it's similar to to what we saw at the OKC Mile, except the dirt. And they even said it was a little. It it was a finer dirt, more of a um, maybe a silty type dirt. It was but definitely silty. You saw. Uh, 
I mean, you saw guys just covered, and even uh, I forget who it was. Was it was Ryan Wells, the uh, GNC two champion that had rigged up some sort of like skirt on his helmet to keep the dirt from coming up underneath the helmet. And you saw the guys doing yeah. some some different yeah. things to try to keep the dirt out uh, because it was so fine and it was getting to, into everything, and they were using more tear offs and that sort of thing. So, and that was the first time they'd been back to Santa Rosa in over forty years. Yeah, it looked like a it looked like a really great event. So. It was it was well worth the watch. If you didn't watch it, you missed out for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, later that night, as we said, they had the awards banquet. They awarded all of the uh, the champions, and uh, you know everybody got their swag and rings and all the cool stuff. But after that, there was a focus on 2017, and I don't know if I'm the only one that stayed up until one o'clock in the morning to watch that. And typically, I wouldn't do that for an awards banquet, but I heard the rumors that there were going to be some big announcements. And uh, for me, it was worth you know being sleepy the next morning because, man, AMA came out with a slew of announcements and changes for the 2017 season, not the least of which is a complete change in the name of the series, which it, AMA Pro Flat Track now goes away, and we go with just American Flat Track. And that's what it is, and that is the organization name, and uh, which I think is pretty cool. They debuted a new logo, the new look for everything, but also big changes to the classes, the structure of events. So next year we will see uh, American Flat Track Twins and American Flat Track Singles. So we go back you know, like they had it a few years ago where we had Pro Twins and Pro Singles, essentially, and... The twins will be the essentially the pro top class, and the singles will be what has been GNC2, but they'll all run singles at all of the events, and uh, that will be kind of the feeder class to the AFT twins. In addition to that, they're changing the structure of the races to more of an elimination format where they'll only take a certain number of riders out of the heats they'll transfer to the semis and then you'll have to race through the semis to be able to get to the finals and so you could have somebody win a heat race and not actually make the main event so that'll make things a lot more interesting from a racing standpoint and uh, as they pointed out in the announcement you will see the top riders in every single race for the most part that is going to be really, really cool, and I think it's going to tighten up the competition, and I think you're going to have better racing with this format. It's a lot different than in the past, so I'm sure there's some controversy about whether people like that format or not, but it will definitely be interesting to see how that unveils and how it unravels or yeah. doesn't unravel or whatever for 17. Well, and the interesting thing about the classes going to twins for the the main category, if you will, or the, the pro category is that in addition to changing up the classes and the structure, they're also adding a couple of more TT events, including the first race of the season, which will be at Daytona, inside Daytona International Speedway on the uh, in the infield where they will build a TT track, and that will be the first race to launch the 2017 season. So we'll see the twins on a TT track at the first race, and then we'll also see them again. Uh, they're going to have a TT involved with the Sturgis event. They'll run on uh, uh, the the Buffalo Chip, <laughs> which is you know kind of extremely well known in Sturgis circles. Or if you've heard anything about Sturgis, all the concerts and everything all take place at the Buffalo Chip. And they're going to build a TT track there and have a race. And then they'll also race 
back across town for the uh, um, the Black Hills uh National. National. So two races involved with Sturgis, one of those being a TT. We'll have the TT in Daytona. And then apparently they're still in negotiations with Peoria to come back there. And I guess they're having to look at some facility changes and things like that there now. But potentially three TTs and everybody's going to be on twins. So that's going to make things pretty interesting. That is going to be worth watching and worth waiting for in and of itself. It's been decades since they had tt races with twins so i'm looking forward to that also yeah so what do you think are, are you hearing anything seeing anything from uh, from your sources um, what's the response been to the announcements that have come out and the new structure and classes and everything well so far everything that that i've heard is a bunch of wow we've got a lot of regrouping and a lot of thinking to do and we need to change up our how we go with some setups and so i think right now everybody's taking in what the new structure is going to be and trying to come up with a with a game plan so it definitely made all the teams go back and have to sit down and think about the 17 season yeah i have to think though that, do you think that teams even knew about the, that this was coming i mean there'd been a little bit of rumor about the twins and the singles thing but i mean Yeah, there was some other stuff that, you know, like we talked about last time about the rumor mill. And so there were rumors flying everywhere. And I think everybody, for the most part, was pretty surprised from what I gather. Um, But not necessarily in a bad way. They were just, wow, it's just not where I expected it to go. It it seems that it's all on an upward progression. And... Uh, obviously, Flat Track has gotten more exposure in the last couple of years being involved with the X Games, which is something they didn't really say anything about. So I don't know if we'll see. I would assume we would see Flat Track back at the X Games, but they didn't make a specific announcement about that. Whether it w- And it wasn't really included on the, the AMA schedule last year. It was kind of a side event. So hopefully we'll see them back there because I think that's great exposure for the sport. Uh, but nevertheless, American Flat Track is uh, is where it's at, and it's going to be an exciting 2017 season. We'll see the uh, the Harleys versus the Indians, which is going to be like the premier matchup of the the decades um, in that series. And I think they're everybody's excited about that. Now, the interesting thing comes in: uh, who replaces Brad Baker on Factory Harley? I mean, obviously Davis Fisher is there, but uh, do they bring somebody else in? and to replace brad baker now and who who does that who gets that call that's going to be something for the off season i'm sure that there's been a lot of negotiations that have been going on that everybody's pretty quiet about but in all forms of racing most everybody's more familiar with the change up in motocross which is huge all the time so it's not unlike that and i think maybe some of the teams might go to a single rider team instead of a two rider team so we'll just have to see how that plays out and how the money plays out and their budgeting and yeah i can't imagine factory harley with vance and hines is going to just have davis fisher i i would expect to see at least two if not three riders to go head to head with the indian team now i look for indian to push harley davison to to go back like the uh michigan mafia where they had three riders i look for indian to actually force that with harley davison to have more than a single rider yeah 
Who do you think would be uh, would be good for that team? I mean, Davis Fisher, obviously young, um, you know, GNC two champion from 2015 had a had a decent 2016 with the XG 750. Um, you know, we know that Sammy Halbert's been kind of bouncing around lately. I don't know if he's a guy that would he doesn't strike me as a factory Harley kind of guy, but but what do I know? Um, that wouldn't know. be a bad choice, and I think that uh, you know Pearson would be a good pick too. Yeah. Brandon Robinson is out there. I don't know if he, but he's on Zanotti, so uh, he and Kenny Coolbeth. I don't know if you want to split that team up. I mean, they seem to do pretty well, no, good. Coolbeth would be a good choice. Yeah, yeah, you get some really good experience there to go along with Davis Fisher. That would make a nice team. So um, we'll have to see how have to see how the contracts go and how their negotiations go and who's willing to go where. Yeah, absolutely. Well, staying on the subject of flat track, uh, tell us about your deal in uh, Asylum. Yeah, we had a little more local event on Saturday as uh, the Vintage Dirt Track Racing Association and Grand Prix Hot Shoe Series headed out to West Siloam Springs, Oklahoma, and Flint Creek Speedway for the not their first event by any stretch, but the first event uh, under the. tutelage of jake latimer (laughs) and uh you know overall i had the pleasure of going out and being the announcer for that event and i had a great time and don was there teching motorcycles in and holding down a chair in a tent um i'm not sure what else you were doing i was i was just over there having fun i was enjoying myself man that that track is really nice i mean for being in like Oklahoma, someplace close. When we have events there, you don't realize if you're in Oklahoma City, you don't realize how close it is. It's not that far away to drive. No, it's about two and a half hours. You know, it's not that far away to drive, and it is a really, really nice track. Yeah, and I I go to a lot of dirt tracks. I've been to a lot of tracks in Oklahoma uh, for sprint car racing and that sort of thing. And I really have to commend and give a shout out to Jacob Fries, the owner of Flint Creek Speedway, who is basically, you know, doing most of the work himself and all the heavy lifting himself, uh, getting the track ready and taking care of everything. And it is a cool little racetrack. I was really impressed with it. I'd never been to that particular track before, but they're doing some great things out there. And uh, I think it was a fabulous race for the VDTRA. The track looked really smooth. It looked like the guys were fast. Um, You know, it was a little wet, you know, and, and kind of slick in the the first turn right at the beginning we saw some of the younger riders having some problems out there but uh, you know once it kind of you got a couple of classes on there everything looked great i think that i think there was i, I think there might have been a little little rough spot in that track down there because yeah. i noticed it on a, on a lot of the classes that the that after they started that the first couple times that they ran out there they started going on a high line around that corner okay and they got a lot faster when they caught that high line yeah well you were closer than i was to be able to see the track so uh but overall i mean i think track preparation and they did a good job of of keeping it um kept up throughout the day i'll I'll tell you what man for 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 that basically as far as that track goes being a one-man show he does a great job yeah it's probably also worth mentioning that that event wasn't going to happen uh, at all. And at the last minute, uh, between the track owner and and Jake, uh, they made that all come together. So I think it was pretty successful for the small amount of time that they had to 
to put that national together. Yeah, it, I, it would have been a lot better, I think, had they had a little more time. Because I mean, there were there was there was a lot of bikes out there, but there could have been a lot more bikes, and the 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 stands were definitely not full by any stretch of the imagination. But <clears throat> there were people there, and they enjoyed it. And I think with a little more. Uh, time and a couple more seasons yeah. it could be a great event well and the event was held in conjunction with bikes blues and barbecue which is a huge rally that takes place over uh, just across the border in arkansas and we saw quite a few people riding over from there you know coming in on uh, on their motorcycles i, I think and, they said it was like 35 miles away from the actual yeah. event so not far at all, and, and some of those people came over, and I know you had, we had people from uh, other states come in as well to both race and, and watch. And overall, I think it was a great event, a great start for um, for Jake at, at the helm of the VDTRA. And uh, looking forward to the next VDTRA event, which will happen in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on October 22nd and 23rd. And then he'll really get ramped up, and I think 2017 is going to be really cool. Um, you know, we saw some nice vintage bikes. We saw a great field of uh, open pro singles. Mm-hmm. And uh, congratulations to Ian Washburn, who run, won the open pro singles category, and that was just a – uh, a really good race. They had a, a lot of riders there, so it's cool to see a lot of young up and coming riders. There were a lot of riders in that that group. Yeah, but uh, but even the the vintage classes, you know, we may not have seen as many bikes as we wanted, but we had some quality bikes there, and I think everybody that was there had a really good time, and uh, it was really fun to see and to be a part of. So I can't wait to see how 2017 comes together. And when Jake was on the show, he talked a little bit about some of the things that are in the plans, and uh, I think it's going to be a great great time a great season and a great series for anybody around the oklahoma texas arkansas new mexico kansas if you're in those areas and you like motorcycle racing either as a fan or you like to go out and race and uh, this is something that you're going to want to look into and and get involved in because it's going to be a great series and something that we haven't seen around this part of the country in quite a while at this level no not at all it's it's going to be really neat to see the changes that they bring about for for 2017 and to bring in the a lot of the kids classes a lot of the support for the kids classes a lot of the technical support for new riders and new parents uh, they're going to uh, address that and there's talk of a few cup series uh, within the hot shoe mm-hmm. uh, series in and of itself so i think that uh, if if you were interested at all in becoming a rider either for your kids, something you've talked about several times, that yeah. racing is a family affair. And, Absolutely. And it brings a family together, and it's good, clean fun, okay? And also, if you're interested in vintage or modern racing in any way, uh, give us a try and look at it. Yeah. I think it was really cool to see uh, – we saw a couple of young riders out on 85s getting their start, one of them who had never done it before, but uh, young Jake Freeze was out there and had just, you know, cruising around the track and having a good time and, you know, walked away with a with a cool <clears throat> plaque. And, you know, that's what's great for, for the kids to be able to get out there and, and be a part of the racing, see the older guys out there really going fast, but be a part of that and be able to wait, walk away with a, a, a trophy or a plaque that looks just – like the the one that Ian Washburn won for winning the pro singles category and you know really be included as as part of that and it's great for the kids. I think that was very important and you know at the uh, the driver meeting there everybody was there everybody was paying attention everybody was talking um and then 
they included everybody, and I think that was that's really important for the kids so that they don't feel intimidated by the the older people. Everybody was always open. Everybody had a smile on their face. Everybody was really enjoying themselves. It was very good, and I think that um, Jake and Mr. Kerry Cannon both together. Uh, pulled off great execution. There wasn't any confusion. There wasn't anybody for being the first event. I think it went off really well. There wasn't any kind of confusion about who needed to be where and when they needed to be there or anything like that. They, they had one bike that missed one race, and that was because the bike couldn't, wouldn't start, yeah. and that was it. There wasn't anything about, well, I thought I was supposed to be here or I thought I was supposed to be there. They did a very good job with executing it, and they did a very good job with making everybody feel included and making everybody feel welcome, and I think they did a wonderful job on that. Yeah. I'll tell you, two of the guys that had more fun than anybody else that day – were the guys that were ran the hooligan class, and uh, you had uh, Michael Tuminia and Anthony Turpin, and Anthony rode in on his dual sport. It's kind of sucky. He, he, he yeah. just came in to watch, and then got talked into entering. And he was out there for like every practice session, and then uh, out there racing. And they basically p- paired the hooligans up with a couple of the other classes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it didn't slow him down at all. He was having a great time. And uh, what, what was he probably in his sixties? Yeah, he, he was. He was in his sixties somewhere. And when you say dual sport, like this was what he drove to the rally it was it had luggage on it yeah it had a trunk and luggage on it and he's out there on the racetrack i'm like man if i was kawasaki i would have recorded that and used it as a commercial <laughs> the commercial for sure exactly but michael uh, to many ended up winning the hooligan class and uh, he, he had a harley and a cool bike that he you know put some work into and i think he had a blast he, he was talking about going out to albuquerque for the race and even mm-hmm. talking about building a new bike for 2017 and moving up a class so that's what you want to see and that's what's so great about this is you can get started uh you know with a hooligan class and then you get, really get the bug and you're ready to, to jump out there and jump into another class and there's availability to do that and to learn along the way and get all kinds of help because everybody's kind of in it together and helping each other out and just having a great time well you don't need a harley davidson I mean, that, that's what's so great about this no, sport there's a lot of bikes the, you can the, you could get into this sport relatively inexpensive for being a motorsport when you think about motorsport in yeah. general and trying to be competitive you could get into this motorsport and be competitive for relatively little money yeah that being said we'd like to announce the uh, power sports podcast hooligan racing team for 2017 if you have a bike <laughs> sitting around that you'd like to uh have myself ride uh, we're completely open to that we'll give you some great sponsorship and a lot of fun in the vdtra series so but who's going to call the races if you ride? <laughs> that is true. We'll find somebody. <laughs> we'll have to, you'll have to call the races on the bike, uh, yeah. wireless. That, well, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> That'd be a lot of fun. So uh, other racing that took place over the weekend, we had the Speedway GP Series, and holy cow, Jason Doyle from Australia with the hat trick. And uh, winning three races in a row, and he now holds the points lead over American Greg Hancock with two events left in in the series. But I'm heartbroken. Well, I am too. Uh, I mean, you know, and Greg Hancock hopefully could still pull something out uh, at Torin, but then they go to Australia for the final. That'll be on Jason Doyle's home turf. But he has looked incredibly impressive in the last three races. He's come on strong, hadn't he? He really has. I mean, 
the race before um, in Stockholm, I mean, he won four of his heats, I think, and uh, just, wow. I mean, That's he's impressive. Just, yeah. And, I mean, he's just able to get to the front and find the line, and he makes moves that are, are just amazing and moving inside or outside wherever he needs to go. I mean, his bike, he's found the setup. He's found his confidence. He's got everything that he needs going his way right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully from – from our American fan standpoint, we, you know, he'll make a bobble here in the next event that Hancock can capitalize on and get back in the, in the points lead because we would love to see him win uh, a fourth championship. But, uh, man, it's going to be tough as long as Doyle keeps riding like he has been. Doyle's on the gas, and he's charging hard. So it's, I don't know, Hancock's got his hands full for sure. Yeah. So the – Motocross donations also took place over the weekend, and I can tell by the uh, the look on your face that you didn't you didn't get to watch that. <laughs> I uh, did not get to watch the. I had it DVR'd, and then we had a DVR die. Oh no! I hate to hear that. Well, I didn't get to watch it either. I just saw the results, and I, I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around everything that happened because apparently Team USA had a really bad first day. And then managed to come back on the second day and was in the lead. And then a fluke accident happened with Jason Anderson, who won a moto and then was, like, crashed into after the race. Um, one of the Japanese riders, I think it was, landed on him after jumping the finish line jump. And Anderson had rolled the jump, and he just landed right on top of him and knocked him out, literally. Uh, and so he wasn't able to come back. So it was basically up to Cooper Webb to, you know, just try to steamroll everybody. And he had the lead. And then he had a bobble up. Apparently, they've got a big hill there at the on the Majoria, Majoria, Italy track and uh, had a just went down and lost his spot. And ultimately, Team, Team USA ended up third. Uh, France won the event, and the Netherlands was second. Team USA got on the podium. But uh, a lot of heartbreak involved there. And you, you could tell by reading some of the post-race interviews and everything that, that Cooper Webb was really heartbroken. I mean, he went there to – I mean, he took this – I He's a serious guy when it comes to racing. He's he's one of yeah, those guys that's extremely seriously. motivated to win. But I think the extra uh, honor of representing your country in an event of that magnitude was really he was really carrying on his shoulders, and and it hit him hard when you know just having a, a mistake that sometimes happens in motocross uh, and cost them the win when he was you know trying to carry it on for everybody with Anderson not being able to make the race and everything. So, um, you know, unfortunate for, for Team USA. Overall, it sounds like it was a great event and a lot of really interesting stories. And uh, Jeffrey Hurlings made his debut on a 450 and was apparently dominant uh, on on that bike and <laughs> ready to go. So uh, it'll be interesting in MXGP in 2017 to see what uh, how he stomps on everybody on in the 450s, <laughs> apparently. And uh, and then, like, the other news that came out this week was that Glenn Helen um, out in California was supposed to be the site of the motocross donations in 2017. But just within the last two days, they've come out and announced that they are not going to hold the event there. And it will be back at a European track in 2017. And apparently they cite the low attendance for the MXGP event that they held uh, just a few weeks ago out there, um, which apparently doesn't bring the crowd out that the AMA National uh, Lucas Pro Motocross 
national event brings, which, I mean, kind of stands to reason, although, you know, you'd think people – motocross out there is like the – the big That's thing huge out there and you'd think people would come out to see the europeans but it, it's just it's it's different it, it is and it's really different if you watch the european stuff and you watch the american stuff and you watch everything i i, I watch a lot of moto gp and you watch the moto gps i go to the ones that are here and you can you can you go to these events and you see people like the one down there in austin at circuit americas we go down to that moto gp down there and they have a big crowd they're talking about well we have a big crowd this year and we've got like seventy thousand people we got sixty thousand people and then you go to spain and like Spain's attendance is like 140, 160,000 people. You know, it's just, it's so much more popular. It's just, it's, it's never really taken hold in the United States like it has in a lot of the other countries. And I don't know why that is. I don't know what the, what the, what the whole thing is, but it's getting bigger and bigger, and bigger. But I don't blame the, the GP, the, the MXGP or anything for going back there because if you have a choice of having, you know, 60, 70,000 people show up or 180,000 people showing up, I, I understand why they would do it. But it's just something that we need to get past in the United States and see that there's there's a lot more racing out there that people don't realize. And that's what's good about the podcast and good about these things is you open people's eyes up to all this other adventurous exciting racing that people don't really realize of yeah. sometimes. Well, speaking of the MotoGP, and you said you went to the race in, in Austin, and I mean, obviously there's a lot of well, it, certainly in Europe, it's it's huge, as you mentioned, and you have these incredible riders, Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, um, D- Danny Pedrosa, all of these guys that are the superstars of the sport that are, are so well-known on an international basis with motorcycles that are unlike anything else that you could ever see. Uh, you, you mean basically, if you if you know anything about motorsports, you know what Formula One is. I mean, uh, MotoGP is Formula, is One, Formula for One for motorcycles. They are purpose built. They have the latest, and and sometimes not just the latest, but the most advanced technology that's not even on any other motorcycles no. right now. And um, they run incredibly fast, have incredible races, and and it's like you said, it's like why, why don't we? Get into that, and I and I speak for myself. I don't really. I am familiar with it. You, uh, you're talking about motorcycles that have an excess of 250 horsepower and weigh around 320, 350 pounds. I mean, if you think about a power to weight ratio, mm-hmm. that is incredible. Yeah, the amount of G's that they pull, some of the some of the the ways they go around corners, and then they have 60 to six. Uh, I think they're up to 64 degree lean angles. Try dragging to, their shoulders. Yeah, you know? try, try try to sit on a bike at the sixty four. They've actually done that where they put a bike out as a stand at sixty four degrees. You can't sit on it. Yeah, the, it's all the centrifugal force sure. going around the corner that's holding you on the bike. It is incredible the kind of racing you can see, and it's just an incredible sport. And it's it's another sport where you know they're getting they're getting up to almost uh, you know they're getting over two hundred miles an hour in the straightaways and and carrying carrying up to 90 miles an hour through corners that you're like it's incredible what they can do yeah and so they they have the the race in austin were they back in indy this year um yes they Mm. went those were the two they had were indy and austin so so we do have opportunities to get out and and see those events here and support that form of racing and see these incredible motorcycles and, and riders and uh you know as americans i don't know if it's a you know, we we think well. If there's not an American, we don't want to 
get involved or we're just not as interested. And I, I've, you know, I accuse myself of that too because, frankly, Formula One, I'm not that interested in. I think it's cool, but I don't watch it because we don't have any American drivers there. And you know, plus they run in the middle of the night here. And <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, well, Nikki Hayden was a the right. champion. Uh, seven years ago yeah it was not that long yeah six or seven years ago so i mean we we, they do have american riders sometimes you know right now they don't have any uh ben spees he retired he just retired but you know they don't have any american riders as of right now but certainly you used to see i mean you go back to kenny robert kenny roberts and and freddie spencer and and, um kevin schwantz yes Thank you. Thank you. Make the make the list for me because my mind went blank. Um, but it was a big deal, and American riders were trying to, you know, they were going over there. They were competing, and they were had, had factory efforts, and it was a big deal, and they were winning championships. And, you know, we don't seem to be as interested in um, venturing outside of the borders with our riders and drivers in this era like we used to. Yeah, in the past, if they had a international event like uh, the Motocross Donations in California, you wouldn't be able to park or get in the state of California. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, in the yeah. 70s and the 80s and even the early 90s. But their mindset's changed a little bit with motorsports. It's, it's a little weird to keep up with, but when you're old and ancient like we are, <laughs> you just remember the good old days. But uh, it's weird for me not to have as many Americans as there used to be in motorsports across the board, period, regardless of whether it was F1 or uh, if it was uh, motocross or speedway or whatever. Uh, in a world arena, there used to be a lot of American athletes and racers, but now not so much. Yeah. So the uh, the MX, or, I'm sorry, the MotoGP series has. Last I saw, Marquez and Rossi were having a battle for the points. Do you know mm-hmm. the latest? What's going on? Marquez there? is still quite a quite a ways in the lead. Yeah. Um, he's just he's a really good rider, and it's going to take a lot to overcome that. Um, next year, I, I, I'm really kind of curious to see what happens next year because um, next year, you know, they're they're changing a lot of stuff up as far as where the riders are going. And and so I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen next year because I think it's unless unless something really weird happens, I think I think Marquez probably has this season locked up. But you know it can it could happen. Uh, um, so are you saying that we may not see him on the rest ball Honda next year? Or? No, he will be there. Okay, he will be there. But like Ducati, Ducati's changing a lot. Um, and then uh, with, with Ducati's changes, uh, that's going to be changing. With Ducati's changes, that's going to be changing Yamaha's team. And then with Yamaha's changes, that's going to be changing Suzuki's teams. And Suzuki, these last couple of, these last couple of races, Suzuki has really started to come in. They've, I think they've, they've starting to find their groove and actually starting to be a very competitive uh, force in the, in this, in the s- series. How long, how much longer do you think Rossi's going to ride? Man, you know, I'm, I, that's a hard one. It's hard for me to believe that Rossi's old enough to retire now. He's been old enough to retire. They were talking about him retiring, and then he went back to the Yamaha, and he started being really competitive again. And you know, and so he still looks like he's about nineteen to me. Yeah, he looks like <laughs> what is he? What is he's thirty seven? I do believe he's thirty seven. Yeah, he's somewhere in his late thirties. Late thirties. Yeah, you know, and it's just it's a it's such an exciting sport, and you know, it's it's a fun and exciting sport, and they're they're. 
their sportsmanship is really nice. They try to take care of their fans. Rossi's great with his fans. Yeah. He does a lot for his fans, you know, and, and everybody's good, you know. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, Jorge Lorenzo, he's, right. Jorge Lorenzo's, he's leaving Yamaha and he's going to go to Ducati. And, uh, when that, when that happens, the, uh, Maverick Vinales is going to leave Suzuki to take his place at Yamaha. And so it's, it's going to be moving a lot of stuff around. But like, you know, uh, what was it? Two years ago? Three, three years ago? Jorge had won the championship and he wasn't doing he wasn't doing very good and he broke his collarbone and then he they reset it and then he went right back out and ended up breaking it again and uh, they did some stuff and he wasn't being very competitive and then you they have this little break and he he works and works and works and gets himself into a position where he's more competitive again and it's just it's amazing to see how these you know People don't think of them as like athletes, like a football player or a soccer player or something like that. But they are athletes. Yeah, they work hard to get in the kind of shape that they need to be in to ride those bikes. Yeah, well, you even hear the the flat track racers talking about you know their training and they're doing the road bike work, you know, on bicycles and and all of that sort of thing. Like you hear a lot of the motocross guys do. I mean, I think you're seeing more and more of the motorcycle racers across the board getting into you know more fitness uh, riding bicycles and doing the 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 mountain biking and lifting and all of that sort of thing and not and not lifting to get big and powerful but i mean they're they, they work muscle. At lean muscle yes they uh, they work a different way i wouldn't know anything about lean muscles so. <laughs> nah, I, I do not know anything about, about lean steaks ago, man. long time ago <laughs> but uh, but as far as the series goes marquez has, has he's got a pretty good lead um i think if if things keep going the way they're going he'll probably have this season locked up and i'm really curious as to what's going to happen next year because it's going to get really these last few years it's it's, it's kind of been these last few seasons has been same riders, same groups, and those, yeah. so there hasn't been. And next year is going to have big changes. What do you think it is as a whole, and and, and maybe it's just me um, that I have not put a lot of focus on road racing motorcycles, but it seems like it has kind of died off in the United States. We have the Moto America series now, and and, and is that part of it? Is there just been so much splitting and you know name changes and uh, bike changes that nobody really knows where to go for because we used to have the uh, the AMA Superbike series and and then there's still the the European Superbike series which is different from from MotoGP and we have Moto America now which has the, the Supersport 600s and the and the uh, the Superbikes and another class as well and you know it, is it me or is road racing motorcycles on a professional level not as prevalent as it once was it's not anymore and i think you're correct in that they have a lot of change and it's a lot of change back to back to back and i think that that has turned a lot of people off and what a lot of people my understanding from talking to not just customers but people that used to keep up with a particular motorsport of any kind that's had a lot of changes is that's exactly what they say is it changes so much that it doesn't it's not it doesn't repeat okay Mm -hmm. It's not it's not the same in order to, to keep up with it. And something's always changing and the series is changing and and I think they lose touch with it that way. Well and I think it's it's hard to keep up. I mean, especially with with the way that media is now. You have so many channels on cable or satellite or whatever you, you have and so and then you have series that aren't even getting T V coverage that are maybe doing live streaming 
thing, which is, you know, great in some aspects, but on the other hand, you're not getting the publicity or maybe the, the, the novice motorcycle fan or just the casual fan isn't seeing it come up on their queue for their TV. So they don't even know that it exists. I mean, you really have to kind of go out and search for things where it used to, I mean, the Daytona 200 was always a huge deal. Um, you know, AMA Superbike was a pretty big deal. I mean, you knew, uh, the riders that were involved or, or knew some. I mean, even as a casual motorsports fan, you you probably knew of, you know, Aaron Yates and, and some of those other guys. <laughs> I've just dated myself to when I was actually paying attention to <laughs> motorcycle because Aaron Yates has a son now that's racing in Moto America. So, well, I think I, and I think that's a major problem if, for for road racing. Yeah. Not not so much the off road and stuff, but but for the actual road racing, if you want to look at super bikes and you want to look at road racing, you have to go out and look for it. And I do believe right now in Oklahoma City, if you have Cox Cable, you can't get road racing. There is no road racing on Cox Cable unless you get the like the big the the big package, the contour package, mm-hmm. and you pay for all the extra stuff. But if you just have cable TV, you, you're not getting it. They used to have it on Fox. I think last year, the year before, it was on Fox. So you could watch a lot of the road racing on Fox if you knew when it was on right. and you could find it. But now um, it's it's not – you have to look for it. Yeah. You really have to look well, for it. Well, I think overall, I mean, again, going back to there just being so many choices as far as TV, uh, you know, a lot of – there are a lot of channels, but they don't want to spend money for programming. So it's a whole lot easier to buy syndicated sitcoms. And put on your network and have people watch than it is to put live racing events because it costs money to go out and produce those events. Uh, or search for Pokemon. Or search for Pokemon. <laughs> uh, you know, I do commend the, like the Speedway GP that does a live stream on YouTube of, of their events. And I think um, MotoGP you can watch live online with a subscription. Uh, I certainly like the Speedway GP version better because it's free. Um, yeah, you do have to pay for the MotoGP. Yeah, and, and, and I think Moto America is doing something similar to that where they're doing a paid subscription uh, viewing as well. And if you can get the, what is that, the BEIN network, the sports network? I just saw that. They have they have everything on there. That's the one I, I get that BEIN network and I can watch a whole bunch of road racing in it and I, hmm. I keep up to date with it. I've never even heard of that. There's a lot of events that I struggle with trying to keep up with. Like I like the uh, European TT racing, like the yeah. British Superbike. Yeah, BEIN like Network has all all the TT racing on it, which I I watch that stuff. From like the Northwest and mm-hmm. Isle of Man and mm-hmm. the Dutch TT. I like a lot of what they call real road racing. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that is some. If you watch those guys, that is some scary stuff. When you start seeing a an actual, you're on a road or they're on a road and they're getting in excess of 210 miles an hour 210 miles an hour on a road on a public yeah. road and they look like walleyes jumping out of the water when they crest hills yeah they're, they're cresting a hill everything's off the ground it's wiggling all over the place they're coming it down and they're holding that thing on it's very exciting very exciting to dodging watch. what they call the furniture meaning like the hedges and the right. cobblestone walls and the yeah. fences and i you know it's it's so funny to me because i mean we as a country you know we're supposed to be the the wide open um you know freedom country but yet the things like that i mean we don't have and probably wouldn't allow they don't that have kind that of anymore at all that kind of they? racing uh, the, the only one they have is they pikes to, peak yeah they used to have catalina and they mm-hmm. used to have elsinore which a lot of motorcycles were named after like catalina like the catalina right. scrambler and honda had the elsinore um, wasn't that a, an oldsmobile or pontiac too? the catalina the catalina car yeah <laughs> absolutely 
you know, your your grandfather's yeah. car there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, I think the only one we really have left is Pikes Peak, and they're they're changing Pikes Peak now. I, I was told that uh, now next year on Pikes Peak it's going to be uh, one piece handlebars, so you can't have clip ons. So they're trying to get rid of all the super bikes from running up Pikes Peak now. Yeah, it's there's. There's a wild change in motorsports now. It's I don't understand the change. Instead of diversity, they're trying to pigeonhole stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I th- I think they probably made a mistake when they paved Pikes Peak. I mean, that kind of takes yeah, some of the, the fun out of, of it for me. Away, didn't it? It, it took a lot of nostalgia. I, I, I remember the first time I saw it, and I'm like, when are they going to hit the pave? Or when are they going to hit the dirt? And they didn't hit the dirt. I'm like, they paved the whole thing, and yeah. That, that took a little bit out. But, yeah, I mean, like, that. This, so this year was going to be the last year that they were going to have basically have super bikes unless you modify your super bike to have a one-piece handlebar on it. I remember at one time where they actually seg- – before they paved it, they segregated the flat-track motorcycles from the motocross bikes. Hmm. The flat-track motorcycles, they felt, had a distinct advantage. And so they segregated the – the off-road bikes from the flat track bikes which was still fine there was a huge amount of of guys in each class but i think the dirt was a great equalizer but i guess with progress i guess you always have something that that you have to compromise with it happens i mean that's just one of those things it's just i I don't know whether whether it's because of where we're at uh and i often thought about that too is 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 that this our country is so busy protecting us from ourselves you know with people suing and people thinking that this is wrong or people thinking that this is bad or this is too dangerous or that's too dangerous with us protecting ourselves from ourselves uh that we have gotten to the point now where they don't allow those people to go out and do that because i'll tell you what if you had a tt race like an isle of man in the united states you would have people up in arms about how dangerous it is seeing those bikes coming over those hills and doing some of the stuff they do. Or the lead law like they had that almost killed all of the youth motorsports around mm-hmm. that they had a few years ago. That yeah. devastated a lot of the mini bike motorcycle series. And they weren't going to let you sell motorcycles to, to kids. And You know, and that that could be when we were talking about how it, it it's changed, right? And we're like, well, you know, it's not like it used to be. That could have been – we could be right now – and the results of that, because those those kids no longer raced, and they just walked away from racing because of the the law, and we're now where those people would be. That would explain a large gap that's in racing right yeah. now, for sure. Yeah, well, the EPA doing its best to ruin uh, motorsports and and our lives. I think motorsports <laughs> is is a soft target. I think a lot of organizations, the EPA being one of them, uh, looks for a soft target for any kind of victory to put a feather in their hat. And let's face it, the motorsports industry as a whole or power sports industry as a whole, side-by-sides, ATVs, personal watercraft, off-road motorcycles, street bikes, doesn't matter. It's a soft target. And the EPA seeks out soft targets for victories that they can – stand on the hill and yell hey look what we've done for you guys yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, a little bit scary as we we've seen um some new potential regulations floated out and some uh petitions floated around to to try to work against those you know that uh, there have been some rules floated out from epa that would affect motorsports greatly and uh, i encourage you if you're a fan of performance vehicles or racing or anything like that to keep up with what's going on out there and let your voice be heard um 
when it comes to things like that because i mean we we have a long history of great motorsports both two-wheeled and four-wheeled and um you know throughout the history since there's been cars around and Can you imagine a fueler with a catalytic converter wouldn't that be great <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you were growing up when i was growing up there were a, there were more kids with mini bikes and oh yeah and off-road little what they used to call a dingo cart and yep. they were everywhere nobody was causing any trouble it was a lot of fun and there were families here locally there were a lot of families that picnicked at draper and rode dirt bikes and stepped through 90s and all of that stuff and yeah well and there used to be places you could you could ride that there were open fields you know they've built a, a convenience store or a housing addition on top of every piece of spare land around oklahoma city for the most part and if you know god forbid somebody some kid gets out on a on a little motocross bike or a you know trail 50 or something like that now then somebody's calling the cops saying that they're you know well, causing a disturbance you know and that but that also goes back to um protecting us from ourselves as in now you got landowners that are protecting themselves because they don't want lawsuits. Yeah. They don't want to, they don't want a kid out there on his 50 to fall over, break an arm and then have a parent sue him because they were on their property. When, you know, uh, somebody would with a, common sense would say well you know he was out there goofing off you know right. these, these are kind of the things that happened that didn't I, seem to be a deal when no, i was growing up i used I to ride on a piece of land that i would well i would uh, sneak through a, a housing addition and cut through the back way and there was a big open field that i could get to and i wasn't the only one and there'd be three or four of us uh youngsters out on motorcycles just tearing it up yeah, that was that was. I don't mean status. tearing up the the tearing up anything except to, you know rock, just ride riding, riding hard, riding hard and riding, having fun. Riding and hard I mean, and I would yeah. go ride every single day. You know, and that landowner, if he wasn't doing anything on land, probably didn't care at all. Right? No, and nobody ever used to to give it a second thought. No, at but, all. But now a landowner sees kids out there and is like, "Ooh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have a lawsuit well, on my hands paying for somebody." We've certainly become a bills. litigious society as a whole, which is frustrating in and of itself. I mean, you can't do anything without fear of being sued. We'll probably get sued for talking about being sued now. <laughs> sued for talking about being sued. The, but the power sports industry is, has had a huge amount of challenges as far as that goes. That's yeah. been huge in the industry for for the better part of probably 15 to 18 years now. Um, any of the industry publications really tries to, to push that home. And I think that it's – I think that is devastating the sport, not only just in the recreational aspect of it, but in the competition version of that also. Yeah. So how about a TT with electric motorcycles? Oh, man, don't even go there. They do that every year at Isle of Man. Yeah. I watch it. I, oh man, they, they got, only make they only make one lap though. But I mean, you know, they got to plug it in. Every, 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 <laughs> stop at the pub and plug it every, in. Everybody, everybody talks about that. But you know, I think it would be, I think it would be rather fun to be able to get on a motorcycle and have no sound, have no sound, have nothing going on, you like that? and be able to twist the throttle and get every bit of torque it possibly has instantly, and just snap your neck back and just go. And it be quiet. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that just be? It just I don't it, like the sound. I like the sound too. In fact, now, I, I went and looked at a. Uh, I, I stopped by to visit our friends at Eurotech in Oklahoma City, and uh, my my buddy Will was there, and I was looking at 
Ducati scramblers. And, Will's uh, a fast talker. Yeah. I'm amazed you got out of there without <laughs> taking some with you. I did, well, I barely did. Um, but, man, they had a Ducati scrambler that had an aftermarket pipe on it, and it was nice. You know, it had a great sound, and I just think those are cool bikes. And Was it yellow? Uh, yeah, the one with the pipe was yellow. But they had a red one in there that I really liked. No, the yellow one with the pipe, I, I think I know that bike. Was yeah. it Terminoni? Terminoni yes, exhaust? Yeah, yeah, the Terminoni exhaust. And I know that bike. <laughs> you need a pretty red one, Gordo. Uh, yeah, with the, the Terminoni pipe on it because it, it sounded fantastic. Sounds good. I like lots of noise, so no, I'm, I, I couldn't I'm, handle the electric thing. I, I'm not saying I want to go all electric. You know, I love my <laughs> what the explosion explosion engine, yeah. what they call me. You know, I, I love that. I, I love an internal combustion engine. And, you know, And there's certain bikes – have their certain sounds and you learn to enjoy them and you learn to love them all in their different ways and they're all different and they're all unique and they all have parts about it you like but you know i also think it would just be neat and fun to just be able to get on an electric bike every once in a while and twist off yeah i do think it would be fun to ride one if you could get and if you could get a bike that had a good range and you had instead of them they they seem to be like making a lot of these uh uh Electric bikes is like trying to be like a performance bike. Now, if you had an electric bike that had a good range, but it was set up as a cruiser for two, why not take that up in the mountains with your girlfriend? You could just cruise up in the mountains. You could talk to each other and you can hear the nature and stuff. That, I mean, that's a whole market that they've never even thought about. And But right now they don't have the – they can't get the distance. Yeah. But that's what I was uh, – if I could do an electric bike. they call that a golf cart? They do call that a golf cart. <laughs> I don't know if it'll go far enough. An electric assist bicycle. <laughs> yeah, I am curious about the Victory uh, electric motorcycle that they've come out with, and um, I'd be interested in riding one of those just to see what it's like. Just to and, see. No, I'm not. I'm not saying. Oh, I'm going to get rid of my. Right. You know, I have a really good sounding Ducati 996 that is probably my favorite bike I've ever owned. And when you start it up and it's sitting there idling, you can feel it in your chest. It's like that bike is constantly hitting you in the chest as it idles, just when it fires off. And there's no way I would get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing about, I mean, as a people that are into power sports, you, there, it's more than just the the speed or the feel on the bike. I mean, it's the total package. It's the sound. It's the, the what it does to you inside when you're on the bike, and especially with a you know a V twin, and you've got that shake going on. And um, and there's know. a difference between loud and tone. There's yes, an awful lot of stuff out there that's just loud. Yeah, and that's it. It's just they turn the throttle on, and I'm glad they can share. But, <laughs> but there's something said about something that's deep and throaty that has some some tone and some volume, mm-hmm. and that is what I like. Yes, I'm not into the short, straight, splatty, fishtail. Nothing. You don't like it when it knocks your fillings out when they rev it up. Oh no, I don't care if it's twin <laughs> cylinder or if it's four cylinder, whatever it is, or something with fishtails. Or no, I'm out on that. To me, that that is like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. Yeah, I agree with you there. You know, there there is definitely something to be said about a, an exhaust that that makes a good note versus just having a couple of uh, two inch drag pipes that go out seven inches and then end, and it's so loud when it's idling that you can't even hear somebody standing yeah, beside just, you. It's just loud to be loud. Mm-hmm. And p- a lot of people don't realize this too, but those pipes actually reduce your performance. Well, yeah. I mean, I've showed them that several times at the shop on the and, dyno, but then they say, well, you know, I'm I'm in it for the look you know, and the you, sound. You know, and they talk about, well, you know, drag cars have this short. And I'm like, well, yeah, because a drag car is 
doing, you know, three or six seconds, four to wide six open. seconds wide open, you know, at 10,000 RPMs. You're not cranking that kind of power out of your. No, you try and twist most of those motorcycles that fast, and you better have a broom and some floor dry. <laughs> you know, and you see it. You see it. I see it a lot with uh, my Harley Davidson customers. They want to come in, and I'll put exhaust on that actually increases performance. They'll read about one. They'll find it. They'll increase performance, and then I'll put it on the bike. And the first thing they want me to do is knock the baffles out of it so that it's louder. And I'm like, well, then you're reducing the performance. You just bought the. Yeah, a lot of people confuse baffle with killing horsepower for some reason, and I blame that, you know, back again on false media. Um, There's a lot of magazines out there and a lot of blogs and a lot of internet uh, places where people can have posts and stuff, and it's it's horrible because it gives a lot of false information. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody does it and they think it's better, so then they write about it and then – Somebody else says, "Oh well, they did it, so I'm going to do it," and then they write about it because they've done done did it. And all right, so so then let's let's clear the air. Um, do you know? And I'm obviously you're not in the shop. We're not on the dyno right now. But I mean, if you if you take the baffles out of your pipes, I mean, are you? What is the you know estimated percentage of horsepower that you're losing and not gaining? I've seen. Let's say that we've got. Uh, a Harley, okay, a uh, Super Glide. Let's just you're pick a Super Glide. You're going to make the Harley people mad when you tell them they're going to be picketing <laughs> outside the shop tomorrow, right now. Their headbands and their vests, and they're going to be picketing. And, um, usually, yeah, let's say that the bike makes 70 pounds feet of torque. That's that's not an outrageous number, okay? And you put some kind of really short pipe on it with no baffles in it. You can knock it down to like high 50s or low 60s that quick it's loud it's really really loud and a lot of times it makes the motor flat and then it comes on all at once well that big hit is what people think is increase in power when it's really not it has it has a really really high peak it'll go straight up and then it comes straight back down and people can feel that if they twist in the throttle right so they they feel because it happens so quickly they feel like it has increased horsepower but, but ultimately it doesn't you know. it's just engine inertia it's flat on the bottom and then it comes up to an rpm range that the motor's happy with and it comes on all at once and it accelerates fast and the customer says hey this is making some more power and it's not yeah not at all. So the better choice is obviously to find a set of exhaust that is that you don't mess with internally, but is built to increase the horsepower. Um, increase the horsepower and give you the sound you want. Right. Without you be messing honest with it. about what you have in your motor and buy an buy a package around that. Yeah, and and certainly if you go to um, well, you would hope that if you're buying a new bike from a local dealer, that that somebody in the service department could be able to guide you in the right way. But certainly we have a couple of shops at least in town, uh, Colvin Motorcycle Company and Motorcycle Works, that you could probably get some good information from. All manufacturers have what they call stage packaging: yeah. stage one, stage right. two, stage three. And it's amazing to me how many people in this world think that that a stage one that they can go home and make the stage one better after a manufacturer has spent millions of dollars to develop that package. You're not going to go home in your garage and 
It's not 1955 anymore. Yeah. Well, and if you buy a if you buy a new bike and you put say a stage one kit on it and you get a set of Vance and Hines pipes or Cobra pipes or whoever whatever aftermarket pipe that you like the looks of and think you're going to like the sound of, I mean that's just not that's that's not just. Putting pipes on, I mean, we're talking about a change in the 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 tune in the the computer for the bike as well to be able to accommodate the pipes. And there's a lot more that goes into it other than just bolting the pipes on and kicking the baffles out. Yeah, and a lot of people go for looks. They say, "Well, I don't like that. I just want it to look cool." You know? Yeah. If you want it to look cool and you want it to sound cool and you don't care about performance, hey, go ahead. I'm telling what you, you want there's do. plenty of things to choose in any distributor's book and have right at it. You know, and and then a lot of the a lot of the pipes you also have to think about is the power range. Mm-hmm. Th- that's something else you really where your should motor think about. makes power. Where your motor makes power, where you're going to be driving at comparatively. Because I know a lot of exhaust you you'll see the the torque curves or you'll see the power curves versus this versus this versus this. And, you know, I've had a lot of people that come in, well, this makes a lot more power right here. And I'm like, well, yeah, it makes a lot more power at, at 9,000 RPMs and you have a Harley Davidson. You're not going <laughs> to twist 9,000 RPMs. Out I of would hope you're not going to have a Harley at 9,000 RPMs for any <laughs> you know? significant period and, of time. And, and it makes less power when you're down here at the three to five range. I'm like, and that's where you're making, that's where you want your power. Yeah. But, I mean, realistically, I mean, you think about most people, unless you have a, a sport bike and you're going out for track days, I mean, honestly, if you've got a cruiser, does the the amount of horsepower – now, obviously, when we're talking about the difference between, uh, you know, the 80 cubic inch Arlita up to now the 107 cubic inch or whatever, there's been a, a change there, and you're going to notice an increase of power and that sort of thing. But for the average rider to go out and buy a brand-new motorcycle in 2016 or 2017 – do they? They don't really need to be too worried about the amount of horsepower and where the power band is, because quite frankly, we're either cruising down the road or we're going to the the local watering hole or we're going up through the mountains for a nice leisurely wa- ride with our significant other on on the back. We're not going to be running at nine thousand RPM. We're not going to be trying to pin it through the corners or anything like that. Um, you know, so the sound does become more important. At that point, I think, because everybody likes what they want it to sound like, um, you know, the stock Harleys today don't sound like the stock Harleys of yesteryear. And so if you put a nice set of aftermarket pipes on there, uh, you know, you're going to get that kind of deeper throatier sound. But I, I don't know. So, I mean, what do you guys get most of? I mean, do you do you get a lot of guys with cruisers coming in that are like, you know, I want the the most power I can possibly get out of it? Or is they that want more loud? Yeah, they just want loud. They want loud. Wait, well, I get I get some of the guys that are cruiser guys because you have to also think about bike nights. Some bike nights, some places. I'm I, I've never been to one, but I have a lot of customers that come in that have go to bike nights where they have set up a dyno. Okay. They oh have, yeah. They so have the, the dyno drags. Yeah. They have, they like have the local dyno, so they want to make sure that they have the power to go to the local dyno. Um, you, you get those guys, but man, I used to. Personally, I used to have an Evolution Harley-Davidson Springer, and I had two-inch drag pipes on it and an s carburetor on it, and it sounded so good. It sounded good, and it did everything I ever wanted to do on it. But I probably, with those two-inch drags on that s carburetor, I probably reduced the amount of power it had <laughs> from when it was factory, but it sounded so good, and yeah. it did everything I wanted to do. And if that's what you're after, that's what you're after. I mean, I have yet to... 
find another motorcycle that sounded like that motorcycle. And people used to compliment me on it all the time, how it sounded. And, you know, hey, it did yeah. it did its job for me. Yeah. It did its job wonderfully for now, me. Now, it's different if you have somebody with a Ducati or a MV Augusta or something along those lines. And they're, yeah, even a GSX-R R1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we still run into a lot of problems with those guys because they they have a stock motor. For the most part, I'm going to say over 90% of the whole power sports industry is pipes and air cleaners. Well, yeah, uh, totally. And and the four-cylinder guys put too big a header pipe on them. They put a full race system that's for uh, a full race motor, something that is more compression and bigger cams and port work and all everything that goes into a race motor but because it's racing they think they should put it on their bike and we're back to the same deal it's flat at lower rpms and it doesn't go through traffic or cruise down a highway very well okay it's it's like it's gone from from an r1 to not even a really good r6 and then about five grand you have this power that comes on that hit you in the face but it only lasts maybe a thousand rpm at at its peak and then you got to shift it and it noses off really bad and they come in and they're complaining how it runs so we put it on the dyno and we see what the graph says and where it's making power and you see this full competition race system it's like why why did you do that well because the blog said that or the message board said this or magazine which magazine is actually really wild that you can still buy magazines but they buy (laughs) magazines and they say well what's even wilder is that you can get a magazine and they're putting out incorrect information still oh no they would never do that (laughs) ever (laughs) so most people need to be honest about what they have what they're going to use it for if you've got a standard you have a stock motor which is fine you need a slip-on system and you need some kind of better breathing air cleaner than a stock air cleaner. Um, but you don't need to attack the air box like a beaver with scurvy either. No. You, 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 get, you get a good high flow air filter on it and you get a, a good slip on. And, and if your bike's newer with your fuel injection, a lot of times just changing those out – the computer itself will compensate for that. It has enough variable yeah. in the, in the it, programming to compensate. It'll for compensate. That. You get. You also have all the guys who go out there and want their computer reprogrammed. They want to have the uh, power commander put on it, and they want all this stuff. And then the next thing you know, they're got so much fuel going to that thing that you're just. I would a gag a maggot, you know, and and they run. Well, when I get done riding my bike, I smell like gas. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, because you're skilling, killing mosquitoes in four counties with that thing. You know, but yeah, I mean, a, a good slip-on to get the sound you want with a good high-flow air cleaner, and your computer will do the rest. Yeah. And you'll you'll have a great time on your bike, and you will get more power, and you will feel that more power. Yeah, it's more of a usable bike, but you've still got a lot of guys that it's more ego. Yeah. Well, that's, that's always part of it. I think I, I, I get a lot of customers that want to come in and do a lot, and we do. We do do a lot. We do a lot of reprogramming. We do a lot of changes to the engines, the cams, the springs, the valves, and we do all that stuff. And if you want to go that route, you can. The the thing the thing a lot of people should think about when they're talking about performance bikes in general is you're already talking about a performance engine. Like 
thing about that. You you got it. You got a thousand cc engine, one liter engine that from the factory now. You have them that are putting out 160, 180 horsepower. That's a, a one-liter engine that's putting out, you know, almost 200 horsepower versus your car that's got a three-liter engine in it that's putting out 100, 120 horsepower. Yeah. You know? And so that's what you think about. it. it and it exponentially changes. Once you start wanting to get like, well, I want to top 100 and, or I want to top 210, 215 horsepower, you're starting to get into a lot of money. Yeah, and you know it's amazing now that production motors that will run a hundred thousand miles with a hundred and sixty horsepower, where back in the day, like a Z, like a Z one Kawasaki, if you made much more than about a hundred to one hundred and twenty five horsepower, it wouldn't last fifteen thousand miles. Yeah, it's it there, but it's it's astonishing how much power and how reliable they're making their motorcycles today, and just. Throw that stuff on there. Get the sounds you want and have some fun and enjoy yourself. If you want to go big, we can go big. If you want to go, you know, but just to just to put one piece on your bike and think, oh, this will be great. Mm. Yeah, and a person needs to think about a total package. What is it going to do to to what you already have to work with? Mm-hmm. And most of the motorcycles will run way faster than you can ride them anywhere anyway. So – if there's a particular sound that you want, at least don't kill the power that you've got. At least get something that enhances the power that you're already given from the factory. Yeah. has a good sound to it. Sounds good. You always want a good sound. Yeah. That's right. Speaking That's- of new bikes and new sounds, the uh, the plan at this point is that uh, Eric and I may be out at our good friends at Iron Nation Harley-Davidson next week and maybe riding one of the new Milwaukee 8-powered Harley Davidson, so we will bring that to you and I'm, tell I'm you. I'm curious about that. We'll I'm tell you all about, about it. Well, you'll have to listen to the Power Sports podcast next week and find I will, out. I will, I will do that. I'm really curious about that engine. It sounds very. I mean, Harley Davidson's doing their, you know, they're they're starting to try to compete again, which is really nice. Yeah, well, I think uh, you're seeing more uh, competition for them. I mean, you've got Indians and you've got victories out there from the American standpoint and a lot of other cruisers as well. So we'll uh, we'll be excited to get on those bikes and tell you all about them. And uh, you have now, if you've made it this far, you have successfully listened to the longest Power Sports podcast we've ever recorded. <laughs> there so you congr- go, baby. Congratulations. <laughs> we'll be sending you your prize in the mail. <laughs> but we do appreciate you listening. Uh, you can find us, of course, at Oklahoma Talk. Talking Company, that's OklahomaTalking.co. You can also like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Powersports Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Powersports Talk. You can also find us at Powersports Podcast on Instagram. You can listen to us, subscribe, download, give us reviews, and say hey on iTunes as well. And you can also listen on Stitcher Radio. Pick on Jason. On your smartphones. <laughs> and uh, do you want to thank Don Muma for taking time? out of his day to come in and join us and be with us and uh, stop by and see him at Motorcycle Works and as always Eric Colvin Colvin Motorcycles I appreciate you being here and uh, making me sound good so <laughs> for, anything for you man <laughs> yeah for uh, Don and Eric I'm Jason Baffrey this is the Power Sports Podcast and we are out of here mm-hmm.